Well, it's a delight to be here. Uh, so thankful for St. Philip's. Uh, my wife and I love this church. Uh, strong biblical teaching, wonderful worship, and um, it's a treat to be here with you all uh, today. Uh, the challenge for me, of course, whenever I speak is, you know, the audience often speaks in a different language. And fortunately, I'm married to a girl from the low country, and I'm sort of getting the hang of uh, speaking low country and, and what, uh, what all that entails. <clears throat> but it um, uh, reminded me of a, um, about two years ago, uh, we were in Europe and Spain for our uh, global conference for the Europeans, and they had um, uh, something like seven different languages uh, represented there. And uh, one of the um, pastors told me the story of <clears throat> he um, I had a, a gal from London who wanted to spend <clears throat> the um, uh, her summer vacation in a small community in Switzerland. Um, asked the village priest to help her find uh, the uh, just the right room. Found the room. Got back to London uh, and forgot. She said uh, she remembered that she forgot to ask where the toilet was located. Now, in England, they call the toilet the water closet, and everybody knows it from by the initials WC. So she emailed him asking where the WC was located. And he said, WC? She must mean the Wayside Chapel. So you, you can imagine her surprise when she received this email from him. The WC is located nine miles from the room in a beautiful grove of trees and is capable of seating 250. <laughs> Although it's quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, many people take their lunch and make a day of it. My daughter met her husband at the WC, and later they were married at the WC. The last time my wife and I went was about a year ago. It pains me not to be able to go more regularly, but it is not because of a lack of desire on my part. When you come, I'll take you to the WC, sit with you, and introduce you to everyone. Remember, this is a very friendly village, so. <laughs> well, I, I really have, have been looking forward to this time together, and uh, Brian was kind enough to ask me to tell a little bit of my story, and really, uh, the central person, the most uh, influential person in my life as a young man was my dad. Uh, my dad was uh, the oldest of, of three children, uh, his um, uh, father committed suicide when he was six, raised by a single-parent mom in a small rural community, and money was always a challenge. Uh, so at an early age, my dad became entrepreneurial in helping the uh, family make ends meet. Uh, he was a track athlete, awarded a, a track scholarship to attend <coughs> the um, uh, hotel school at Cornell, uh, graduated just in time uh, for the Depression. 
85% uh, of all the hotels went through receivership or bankruptcy during the Depression. Uh, my dad moved to Albany, Albany, uh, Georgia, where I was born, and um, began his career in the hotel business. Uh, he, um, in those days, believe it or not, uh, you could buy the hotel in the, in the small, smaller communities uh, for $2,000 down, and the rest financed at 2%. Uh, so my dad started with one hotel. He was the dishwasher, the front guy on the front desk, cleaned the rooms. He did, did whatever it took uh, so that he could uh, make that profitable, and it just spread. He had 88 hotels in his lifetime. And so I grew up in a, a house with an entrepreneur uh, as my dad, for which I'm incredibly grateful. Um, the... Uh, impact, the real story for me coming into Mo Christ was that um, after uh, finishing the hotel school, as, as uh, Brian mentioned, uh, spent two and a half years in the Navy, uh, one year running officers club is in Vietnam, the other in Corpus Christi, Texas, moved to Orlando because Disney had been announced. I thought it'd be a great place to make a lot of money. And at that time in my life, I had one objective in life. That was to become as rich as I could, as quickly as I could. Didn't care about people, was dishonest in my business dealings, just wanted to make a ton of money. Uh, one of my roommates, uh, who also had gone to the hotel school, uh, was in Orlando. And when we were uh, going through the hotel school, one of our classmates it was a very creative guy, and he built a, a um, sandwich and bar place made out of uh, three boxcars. They were, you know, side by side. He cut out the middle of them, and, and uh, it was incredibly successful. And we said, hey, why don't we just expand on that? And we called it the caboose. And five boxcars in a caboose around a central building, and, and it turned out uh, well. But the real thing that, uh, you know, I wanted to get rich, but I began to understand that God is surprising and he's good. He's surprising and he is really good. God's agenda was that, number one, I'd meet my wife when I went to get the loan to build the place. Number two, I met my, my closest friend, an attorney, when we had a problem with a liquor license, uh, number three, I met a fellow named Jim Seneff, who uh, was really instrumental uh, in my life. He's the one that uh, positioned me to receive Christ, uh, using the four spiritual laws that Campus Crusade used that uh, helped me see that uh, I, I was a sinner, needed to be saved by grace, um, prayed the prayer to do that, and my life began to radically uh, change for the better. Uh, he's the one that uh, encouraged me to join him in a study of the Bible, find out what it said about money. He'd gone, uh, read all of Proverbs over the Christmas vacation, came back, said, there's a lot in the Bible about money. Uh, we're just starting our business, we're just starting our families. We need to, to uh, find out what it said 
now the real story is, he said, Howard, let's, let's you know, do this equally. Let's cut the Bible right in half. Why don't you let me take the New Testament? I'll read the Old Testament. You, you let me read the New Testament. I'll take the, uh, the you, you can take the Old Testament. And I didn't know the Old Testament was four times the size. Uh, I had never read the Bible before. Now, you younger guys are not going to believe this, but um, we went through the, the scriptures, identified each of the 2,390 verses dealing with what money, what God said about money and possessions, and then we typed each of them by hand. Scissors, cut off each verse and said to ourselves, what's it say? It either went in the the debt pile or the giving pile or all these different piles around the office. Then we went through each pile, carefully categorizing as it took us about a year. It's none of this cut and paste stuff that you guys have today. Um, but I, I needed uh, to go through in a painstaking way to look at each of the, of the verses. And I'm so thankful that the Lord had me do that. Um, when we uh, finished that project, we started to do seminars, and we did them with uh, young pastors, primarily young pastors, that he had gone to Wheaton and he had a relationship with them different places around the country. Editor of Tyndall House heard about it, uh, asked us to write a book on what God said about money. Uh, Jim felt called to continue in, in business. I felt called to write the book. And um, because of my background in small groups, uh, felt that the small group setting would be the ideal sell setting to help people learn what uh, God said about money. Um, in, in, uh, in nine years ago, I began to focus on finishing well. I turned 70 years ago, 70, nine years ago. And um, it really... Uh, is what drives me today. Just ask you a, uh, to imagine for a second uh, that you die. You know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so you're going to heaven. And you go to heaven, and for the first time, you look across the room and you see the person of Christ. And he motions you over. So you go over to see Jesus, talk to Jesus. What are the words that you want to hear from his lips? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But there's a problem. Most people in scripture didn't finish well. I mean, a guy like Solomon, he started out gangbusters. Great dad. I mean, his dad wrote most of Psalms, had a, you know, man after God's own heart, uh, made great decisions, asked for wisdom instead of a whole bunch of other stuff, but finished terribly. Uh, so finishing well, I think, uh, has to be something that's intentional, uh, that we seek uh, to do. And... <clears throat> The, um, fortunately, we've got some great examples. Of course, Jesus finished well, and, and Paul, 
And I love the, the passage in Acts 20, 24, where Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And just to camp on that passage for a few moments, Paul's on the way to Jerusalem. And he's going from town to town uh, to be with those who uh, he influenced for Christ, to encourage the brethren. And every place he goes, it's the same message. Hey, dude, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be beaten. You'll be whipped. I mean, who knows? And Paul's response was, I consider my life worth nothing to me. It was infinitely more important for Paul to finish well than to have an easier uh, way of it. And let me see. I'm not sure if... What, exactly how I can turn these things on. Uh, how do I turn this to the next one? <laughs> oh, okay. Just that one, great. So I'd like us to take a look at several issues that will help you and me uh, finish well. The first is don't go it alone. Uh, have a mentor in your life. In fact, I think we all need to have three different layers of mentors. First, somebody older than we are who's been down that road who can uh, help us. Uh, somebody who's a peer. And then somebody that we're mentoring. I like to describe our lives as um, going down a fast-moving river in a canoe. Uh, you want to have somebody who's been there before, who knows where the rapids are, the rocks are, to, to help, help you make it, make it down. You need somebody in the canoe with you who can help avoid those rocks. And then we need somebody younger than we are uh, in the Lord uh, because the, the person who teaches us, teaches us always gets more out of it uh, than the mentee. And I've been fortunate. I've had all three layers. And I want to encourage every, every guy in here, if you don't have all three layers, consider having that. My mentor is a guy named George Fouché, 14 years older than me from Wichita, Kansas. He just passed away. And he made such a huge impact in my life. Just a godly man uh, who had a great family and just enormous impact. In terms of peers, I've been fortunate to have two peers. Uh, one was the fellow I mentioned to you earlier, the attorney, Tim Maynard. Tim and I have communicated together almost every day for the last 44 years. Uh, another peer is a guy named Jess Carell from Kentucky. 7.30 on Saturday morning, we talk for an hour. He's, he's down in Mexico now. 7.30 in the morning, we talk for an hour. And what do I talk with to, about? 
with these two guys. Everything. Nothing is, is, uh, that happens in our life uh, is something that we, I mean, we discuss everything. Giving you an example of that, Tim Maynard, when I was younger, I knew it. He was going to ask me the same question each and every week. And it was, Dayton, do you feel emotionally drawn to anyone other than your spouse, other than Bev? So for me, if I even began to feel the least bit of emotional draw to another woman, I stopped it because I knew that turkey was going to ask me that question. Uh, to have that person in your life uh, as a peer uh, who can ask you the hard questions uh, is, is a really important. And for me, when I turned 70 nine years ago, I decided that I was going to intentionally mentor one younger guy a year. And it has been the joy of my life doing that. And I've done it with the provision of, okay, I'm going to mentor you, guy, you for a year, and then what I want you to do is mentor somebody younger than you every year for the rest of your life. And I've learned much more uh, by mentoring these guys than I ever think they have learned. It's just so valuable, men, to be able to pass on the, your faith and your experiences with younger guys. Yeah, marital dysfunction is another huge issue uh, for us as men. Uh, there are so many divorces, so many marriages are, are in a tough place. Um, and uh, I really uh, didn't recognize my need for this uh, area until uh, Moody asked me to write a book on money and marriage God's way. And there was a verse in that book that grabbed my heart and would not let it go. And it was... just have to give it to you. It's, it's Ephesians 5.25, and it's the husbands, and it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me say it again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a sacrificial love. And I was trying to figure out, how can I do that? I mean, um, I know I'm supposed to be sacrificially loving my wife, but I just couldn't get my arms around it. And, you know, out, out uh, from my morning jog one, one day and ran into my neighbor, Lyle Nelson, wonderful brother in Christ, has a great uh, marriage. And he was just plodding along, and I said, dude, what happened to you? He said, oh, Marge wasn't feeling good last night. Uh, she got me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, asked me to go to the all-night pharmacy to get some medication for her. I, I just didn't get any, any sleep at all. And I can remember just saying, dude, that is just a bummer. He grabbed my shirt, yanked me over, got in my face, and said, Dayton, I don't care if you remember anything else I ever tell you, remember this one thing. If you ever request by your wife, as an opportunity 
to serve her. View every request by your wife as an opportunity to serve her. So I started to do that. And um, it was strange at first. I mean, I, I was saying, yes, darling, I'll do something. But on the inside, I was saying, you know, I don't want to do this. But then something happened. And I began to enjoy doing that when, when Bev asked me to do something. And love it. And I think it's the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us who know Christ. He was pleased that I was obeying him. And he allowed me to experience his pleasure and his joy. And then somewhere along the line, I uh, realized that sometimes when I said I was busy, she asked me to do something, I said, yes, darling, and I'd forget about it. Must be a guy's thing. And um, uh, so I started to, if possible, stop what I was doing and do it right away. And what this communicated to Bev was, I'm his priority. More important than my work, more important than my uh, friendships, more important than my recreation. And all this was in preparation for a five-year journey uh, where Bev had a double mastectomy. Uh, six months later, we discovered it had spread to her bones, which is a very painful uh, type of cancer. And um, on that, on that five-year journey, not once did I feel put out when she asked me to do something. Um, the last <clears throat> two weeks, of her life were particularly uh, painful. Uh, she was just flat in agony. And um, a good friend of mine called me up and asked me if I thought that Jesus loved Bev. And I said, absolutely, no question. He said, you're right. Now you've been married to her for 46 years. You've been her caregiver for the last five years, of all the humans on the planet, you're the, in the best position to communicate that God loves your wife. And um, he said, what I encourage you to do is before you go in uh, the room to see her, that you intentionally submit to the Holy Spirit and ask him to love your wife through you. And I started to do that. And after about a week, something happened. The relationship became so much more tender, so much sweeter. And my, uh, as I thought about it, the Holy Spirit knows our spouse much better than we do. We can make a best guess about what she's thinking or wants to do, but the Holy Spirit knows, knows her needs, and that if we intentionally submit ourselves, and I encourage guys to do an opportunity to serve her, and secondly, particularly if you've been away for a while, uh, intentionally submit yourself to, to the Spirit of God and ask him 
to love your, your wife through you. What time is it, brother? Ten minutes, okay. Um, when I turned seventy, this. Uh, particular verse really grabbed my heart and <clears throat> you know show me more oh lord my life's end and the number of my days let me know how fleeting is my life and so here's how i've done that Father, thank you that you've encouraged us to number our days. Uh, thank you for the opportunity that we have, Father, while we're still living, to influence our family, our grandchildren, or serve our wives um, uh, and others, Father. Uh, Lord, we know that <clears throat> sooner rather than later each one of us are going to be standing before you uh, and lord i pray for each man in here that they would be uh, serious that they would be intentional to finish well even the young guys that that would be uh, something that they really hide in their hearts that by your grace and kindness, Father, we might hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And hear them ringing in our ears forever.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, one of the great things uh, about Howard is his humility, uh, the impact that he has had so many people is just mind-boggling. And I do want to just mention there's this great resource, Charting Your Legacy, um, that Howard has put together that I would commend to you uh, that goes through a lot of the kinds of things that Howard's been talking about with us today. Um, also, he has a lot of other things that you can find on the internet uh, that are terrific resources. But I would like to just close by saying, remember uh, Howard talking about how his partner uh, early on in his business career, who was a Christian, challenged him to look at some things from a perspective of the Bible rather than just making as much money as you can uh, as fast as you can. And the result of that is that the Lord used that uh, bold move by Howard's friend as an entree to literally change the direction of Howard's life and to set this ministry up that would never have happened otherwise. And for so many of us, we have people that are in our sphere of influence where we sometimes feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to say something and we think it might be embarrassing or we're afraid to do it. But I would suggest to you that you listen to those nudges because you never know who in your life God might be wanting to use in a miraculous way and the Lord might want to use you to help draw that person toward him. So um, with that, let me say a blessing over us. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.